It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we talk to amazing entrepreneurs, not just here in the States, but around the world, and we have a fantastic guest for you uh, today. She's actually talking to us from the future, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, she is the founder of Matcha Maiden. Uh, we have that website there in the show notes for easy access, but she's also the author of Seize the Yay, Work, Rest, Play Your Way to Hashtag Life Goals. She is the one and only superstar, Sarah Davison. S. Davison, how are you, ma'am? I am so wonderful. Thank you so much for that introduction. I feel like I should get you on board to do my podcast introduction. That was amazing. Oh no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, I I, I watch a lot of you know uh, professional wrestling, so that helps. You know what I mean? So uh, you know, <laughs> so you know, uh, you get to kind of learn a few things about you know announcing and, and stuff like that. And the reason I say uh, Sarah is talking to us from the future because here in the States where I'm recording, it's 4 p.m. Uh, on a Monday, but it's actually Tuesday at 9 a.m. there in Melbourne. That's where you are, Melbourne, Australia, correct? Yeah, oh. in the sunny future. <laughs> I had that in there in the sunny future. All right, for sure. But once again, like I said, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. And before we kind of dive into uh, your story and, and the book, your amazing company that I have so many questions about. Uh, you know, 2020 was one of those, you know, for the ages, right? A lot of a lot of learning happened uh, in 2020 from a business standpoint to a societal standpoint. I'm just curious. Uh, Sarah, what are some takeaways for you that you learned from 2020 and probably still learning now? Because we're not necessarily over the hump when it comes to that, uh, with everything's going on. Kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what a shit show it's been. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit of a messy time and so much loss and suffering and right. adversity for so many people all over the world, particularly startups and businesses. And I imagine that you've had lots of guests on the show who have really struggled through absolutely. the last sort of 12 months and more. And I mean, I think in the moment last year, it was a little bit harder to start looking for any sort of silver linings or big takeaways. But now that we've had a little bit more time to reflect, I think those lessons are starting to crystallize, which is, you know, a wonderful because then it makes sense right. maybe why you went, went through it all. But I think a couple of the biggest ones for me, something I found really hard was you know, we managed to keep a lot of our work because all the podcasting and, and a lot of our work was online. We have a cafe which was heavily affected, but everything right. else was uh, actually quite protected from from the pandemic and, and the big shutdowns. Right. You know, we had a roof over our head. I live with my husband. We have mm. a dog. We have great, you know, Melbourne went into stage four lockdown where you couldn't move beyond five kilometres from your house for four right. months. Right. But within 5Ks, you know, we had a park, we had great cafes and, you know, we had friends who lived in that little bubble. And I think one of the hardest things is it's still, it was still a pandemic. We were still completely, you know, isolating ourselves. Our whole lives were sort of on pause or in limbo. But you feel guilty, I think, mm. if you feel you know, challenged by something when someone else always has it worse. Right. And you're hearing about all your friends who have lost their jobs completely or, you know, I think giving yourself permission to feel things, even though it's not as bad as someone else, but it might be not as good as someone else. That was uh, the relativity of our life experience is something I really needed to be reminded of. And a quote that I love is, you know, uh, telling people they can't be sad because others have it worse is like telling people they can't be happy because others have it better. Right. And I think in a world where you're incessantly comparing yourself to the details of other people's lives, mm. a great reminder for me was no one else's life matters. Your life is the one that affects you. So why are you causing yourself angst and grief and stripping yourself of joy because you're constantly comparing when everything is relative, For sure. not just in a pandemic, but, you know, in life generally. For sure. And I think the second big one that I know just from conversations has been maybe the biggest for a lot of people, particularly in startup 
in the startup nation (laughs) is, you know, that we're going so fast. The pace of life has increased exponentially beyond our body and our mind's ability to keep up, I believe. And the pace is exciting. It's the most amazing time to be alive because you could do anything you want. We live in this dream you know, time of kicking goals and there's no conventional pathways where you're, you're expected to have the same career for decades and decades. Right. But with with that comes, you know, going too fast and not enjoying any of the moments in between and sometimes even ending up going so fast that you lose sight of having any direction. So you're going furiously at pace on a hamster wheel and then at the end of the year you're like, I haven't gotten any further or closer towards the things I actually care about. So I think stripping all of that productivity and busyness back has allowed a lot of us to take a bird's eye view of our life in a way that we haven't done in many years and sort of started to think, well, that really isn't working and that really is. And why am I doing so much of the thing that isn't working and not enough of the thing that is? Um, It's a clean slate in a one way. For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing all of that. No, and you're absolutely right. We, we've actually had a lot of uh, guests come on the show where they say, you know, oh, I haven't been doing so well and stuff like that. And we actually had some where they talked about they had a little bit of kind of like survival's guilt to where they were actually doing pretty well during the pandemic. But they felt bad because, like you were saying, somebody else probably had a, a little worse uh, than they did. And also uh, it's kind of a nice setup. I appreciate that, Sarah, because you were talking about comparison and stuff like that. And that's actually one of the chapters of your book. Comparison is the thief of joy. And once again, startup nation, that book is seize the yay work, rest, play your way to hashtag life goals. So Sarah, if you would just kind of talk about, you know, what made you write this book? It seems timely now with everything going on. <laughs> I mean, I could never have predicted. Of course, that of course. The the book I wrote the year before, uh, that the lessons would have this whole new meaning when it actually came out in Absolutely. the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> so that was it actually worked out very well for me in terms of the book, the books sort of message landing on ears that were ready to hear it, which right. is amazing. Right. Um, but the whole concept, so seize the yay is the life philosophy that. Uh, Obviously, the book goes through in 12 chapters, but I have a podcast of the same name that I've been doing for quite a few years now. And it it pretty much, it's based obviously on seize the day, which is that goal-kicking mentality of making the most of every opportunity. And it's formulated based on my personal experience of seizing the day and going for every opportunity. But again, like going too far down a direction of going for success and productivity and busyness but in areas I didn't care about or areas that didn't bring me joy. And I sort of ended up ticking all these boxes of things that I thought I should do in life and in my career and then realising I didn't actually enjoy any of it and it didn't align with the things that brought me the most yay. And so Seize the Yay emerged as, you know, my life philosophy and then turned into the podcast and the book. But the backstory of that is right back at the very beginning of my life was the first big slide moment that I liked it. There's two big ones and Mm -hmm. I'm sure there will be many more, but I was actually born in an orphanage in South Korea. So didn't start my life in Australia. Uh, I have no memory of it. I was adopted very, very young. So five months old and was brought to Australia and uh, grew up in a wonderful neighborhood with the most loving, supportive, amazing family but they're, I'm fully blown Asian right. and they are white Caucasian country mm-hmm. bumpkin Australians. <laughs> Both sides of the family come from dairy farms. Uh, it's a, yeah, very, very interesting and unique cultural identity. For sure. And I think two things came of that. One, I have always been so acutely aware of how differently my life could have gone. Right. Which means I feel lucky every day to be in what I think is the best country in the world. Sorry to all the Americans. No worries. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) We're an island, you know, we're protected. Like we've got our own little bubble and it's just, it's a wonderful life here. Right. And 
uh, because of that, I've always wanted to do every extracurricular activity. I've always wanted to make the most of every single thing. Like I'm a yes person. I say yes to everything. Right. And the other thing is that it's kind of prepared me pretty well for being different. Like mm. I've always had a different story. I've always looked different to my parents. I've always had prying eyes of people who don't understand difference, which I think is also something that equipped me very well for later on understanding that we are all different and our pathways are not linear and they're not meant to look like anyone else's. And so, of course, when I was younger, I didn't know what to do with all that information and I just sort of lived my school life doing everything. I did the really academic stuff and then the really arty-farty stuff and kept both of those parts of my brain alive for my my whole younger years. It came to the time of you know, what do you do when you like lots of different things? What, how do you turn that into a job? And at some point, I think all of us stop concentrating on and making decisions based on what we enjoy. Mm. When you're children, it's really straightforward. It's, you know, you know what you like, you know what you don't like, and you make decisions accordingly. At some point, career and success and expectation comes into the picture and what you're going to do for a a job comes into the picture. And suddenly you lose sight of that joy and and suitability for you as a criteria at all. And so I ended up doing really well and then thinking, well, I needed most of that. Like what's the sensible thing to do? And I ended up starting my career as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, mm-hmm. of all things. Right, right. <laughs> and very, very fun to do. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I do not regret it. It was the most amazing place to start my career. I had such amazing mentors working with incredibly intelligent people. I got to travel the world. I learned so much about life and business. But looking back, I I had totally got really caught up in ticking the boxes of metrics to measure my life that now I realize I really didn't care about. I didn't really enjoy making other people wealthier and the creative side of my brain got absolutely no time. Gotcha. But the the thing that I find really overwhelming now and I get goosebumps about is mm-hmm. unless you're actively unhappy, you probably won't make a change mm-hmm. because, you know, unless you're pushed all the way to full discomfort, you actually just sit in habit and routine and not even question that there might be something better. So right. because I didn't hate it, I was so grateful just to have a job. It was post-GFC, you know. I mean, you guys know how intensely devastating that was for the world Absolutely. to have a job at all right. was like oh my god I have a job right so for four years I never really thought much more of it and it was only the second major sliding doors moment of my life that was not something I did voluntarily but I wish now to help others voluntarily break their autopilot circuit went to Africa to work on a charitable co- <laughs> this is such a long story no, went to before. Africa it's all good uh on a charitable expedition with my now husband spent a month there incredible eye-opening experience two things happened first was I expected to feel immense gratitude for what we had in in our you know Australian life and in our kind of privileged first world countries Uh, and instead I saw purer happiness on the children there playing with very little and the adults breaking into song spontaneously because they were so happy they couldn't contain the joy in their bodies. And I came back to an office where everyone had everything they want and no one was happy and they were all anxious and worried about the things that they created for themselves. So that made me start to think maybe happiness and success are different. Mm. Mind blown. <laughs> right, absolutely. And this, the second thing I brought home was a gut parasite and... Mm. Being the lawyer that I was, I ignored all the signs. I kept working myself into the ground and I collapsed at work into adrenal fatigue. Mm. And in that process, I was banned from coffee, which was a disaster. I was a 10 cups a day kind of girl. I was a lawyer, so I couldn't do any more, you know, fun kind of energy boosting activities. So I had to find a healthier form of caffeine and I found matcha. That led to our first business, Matcha Maiden, which started as a hobby and took off beyond our wildest dreams. And it was only by comparison that I suddenly realized I had been settling for good when there was great out there. There was amazing out there and I had I never would have known but for the one sliding doors moment. So 
the C's, the yay philosophy is all about that, breaking your autopilot circuit, getting back in touch with what makes you joyful. And yay is a bit of a juvenile word, but it's because we lose sight of that inner child and we forget to to cultivate joy in life. And you're not here to work and die. That would be the biggest waste of your time on this earth. Right. So it's all about the yay. Right. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, and, and trying to find your yay and seize your yay and stuff like that. And you was talking about just to just live and work and die is like just a miserable existence. I uh, remember plenty of people always say that, you know, uh, that, you know, on a tombstone, you have like, you know, the date, you know, the year you were born. Then on the other side of the year, you, 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 you're gone and stuff like that. But like all that time in the dash mark, the hyphen mark, or whatever they like to call it in between <laughs> is where you, you make the most, uh, as you would say, yay, if you will. And you're so right about that. Like a lot of times we get so bogged down in life that we forget to unlock that yay a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and really try to, uh, pursue things that make us happy, that make us, you know, like, you know, uh, be our best creative self or our best innovative self. You know what I mean? So I appreciate you saying all that, Sarah. Totally. I think that the thing that really helps me kind of, if I'm ever going a bit too far down the success, productivity, busy and right. ticking boxes and stuff to pull myself back is on your deathbed, it's, it's morbid, but it's, it's important, I think, to confront the realities that help you live your life better. Of course. I don't think anyone has ever, ever said, I wish I had less fun. And right. I don't think anyone else has ever said, I wish I worked more. And most importantly, no matter what you accumulate in things and status and money, you can't take any of it with you. So right. I think, you know, life is long, but it's short. And I have to keep that in my mind to remember not to waste a day in angst over things that just are so inconsequential. They seem like your world now, but most things aren't. I mean, right. joy and love and like if you don't enjoy the ride, I mean, what is the point in being on it? Right. For sure. For sure. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I know a lot of people that we've talked to uh, during the pandemic, they've been saying that, like, since, you know, life has kind of, you know, slowed down significantly, uh, they found themselves, you know, and you talked about this early, going to, uh, you know, the park more, playing board games more with the kids or or enjoying more movie nights more and, and stuff like that. And so I, I think and, and on top of that, you know, even before the pandemic, I know a lot of people were just saying, I wish I had more time and, and not more time to to fill out spreadsheets or anything like that. But they like more time <laughs> for like, you know, the fun stuff. Right. You know. Uh, uh, sitting down and, and, and taking walks and stuff like that. So now I appreciate all of that, Sarah, for sure. Yeah. And that's a big part of the philosophy. The CZA podcast kind of, of has course. three big sections. So there's your way TA, which is how you get to where you are. And every guest we have on, on my show, they've all had like multiple, multiple chapters that don't make sense at the time, but that all are stepping stones to lead them to where they right. ended up. And so, you know, emphasizing that life is not linear, you don't need to know what the next chapter is for it to be, you know, there's always multiple chapters to come and just trust the process. Then there's NATA, which is all the big barriers to joy, like comparison and burnout right. and self-doubt and imposter syndrome. But the big one for me and the game changer for my own life has been play TA, which is, you know, we do spend a lot of time trying to find work that fulfills us. And so much of our time and energy is focused on career, which of course is important. Of and course. if you're lucky enough to find a job that you love, that's incredible because many people don't. And I mean, right. really, it's only been in this last generation that we've even had an, a concept of enjoying work. Like I think generations before us would be like, dude, it's work. Like right. where did you get this idea that you have to be gratified by it all the time? You have to pay your bills. That's reality. Right. So if you do get to enjoy it, that's wonderful. But even if you do, there's something to be said for you can have too much of a good thing. That's very and true. Right. Especially in startup world. I mean, people who have startups will definitely understand that you can't have good ideas and fresh motivation and perspective and if you don't take a break, even if you love it. 
And so play TA is, for me, represents the fact that we all need to cultivate some kind of joy that is totally unrelated to your work, that's unproductive, that's a total waste of time objectively, but the activities that make you forget what time it is, like a board game or like walking in the park that you can't achieve at or win at or get better at, but you just do for the sake of the joy. And it's so weird that our lives have become very linear. It's like work, rest, to rest, to work, to work, to rest. And what about play? It's a triangle. It's never been, you know, even back in the like the Da Vinci times, like the greatest minds in history have always indulged in leisure because it makes them better at what they do. And then we just kind of have forgot about the idea of leisure or pleasure or anything, you know, and I think COVID has been a wonderful, wonderful way for people to like remember that it actually takes a little bit of research to cultivate what you like if you've become so distant from that concept. But explore, experiment, try pottery. Like I know it sounds corny, but no shit, go and eat, pray, love, like make a list of random activities and see which ones you like and which ones you don't. Absolutely. And I think something that really resonates with me, I'm sure you'll be able to tell I love quotes, is that, you know, people always say, I wish you had, I wish I had more time. But Mm -hmm. I think if you try saying, instead of saying, I don't have time for something, try saying, it's not a priority for me. And suddenly you'll realize like time, we all have the same amount of time. Of course. It's about prioritizing the things in that time. So no one doesn't have enough time. You're just not making time for those things. For sure. For sure. And I appreciate uh, you, you sharing all of that for sure. And you, you're you're so right about something you said just now, because it, it does seem like, you know, you're, when you talk about the millennial generation and even more so the Gen Z uh, generation, they really do uh, take a little bit more time to, you know, explore and like try to, uh, have a little bit of fun. Right. But they understand that, you know, uh, you got to have a little bit of, you know, uh, work done in, you know, in, in that nine to five or within the 24 hours, whenever you decide to, uh, do that work. We had a guest on the show a while back, Rashad Tabakawala, and he talked about how some of the most successful corporations actually implement something like where, uh, for example, one company will have a time where uh, a whole department have to go take in some type of cultural event, whether it be a play, an art exhibit, a museum or something like that. And those teams are actually more productive when they do that, as opposed to just work, 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 spreadsheet, 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 TPS reports and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So no, it really, I really, uh, really, uh, uh, co-sign everything you just said, Sarah, for sure. <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, if you look back even at your own experience, I think so many people will find that their biggest sort of jumps or great ideas or breakthroughs always come after a break, after you give your mind a exactly. little bit of a vacation right. to, like, get some distance and, you know, that age-old thing of working, you know, in your business instead of on it. Right. You, if you don't make time to work on your business, then it's only, you know, you get too stuck in the trenches and often the bigger picture doesn't move along very far. There it is. There it is. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Sarah Davison, the author of Seize the Yay, Work, Rest, Play Your Way to Hashtag Life Goals. And if you want to purchase that book, uh, Startup Nation, that book is available now. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. Also, if you want to check out all the the happenings and knowings and goings of uh, Sarah and her journey and stuff like that, make sure you check out uh, spoonfulofsarah.com. That link is also there in the show notes if you listen to the replay on uh, the podcast. Sarah, I want to ask you this because really quickly, I want to talk, uh, ask you this before we kind of transition a little bit, because in the book, you talk about this idea of blinkers, right? Like personal blinkers, business blinkers, real world blinkers. Kind of talk about that if you don't mind a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> it's um, a pretty basic analogy based really on horse racing gotcha. of all things, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, alludes to the idea that, you know, I think we live in a time where we are totally inundated with information and visuals and data and, you know, just the, the minute 
details of what everyone else is doing. And of course, it's always the highlight reel, which is not a bad thing. It's totally natural for us all to put our best foot forward. But there's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of noise. And it can make it really hard and often quite paralyzing because of what we talked about before, comparison, because of self-doubt, because of just overwhelm, because of, you know, worrying that you're not good enough or that you're so far behind or whatever. There's so much material that could throw you off your game so much so that you don't get started on anything right or you decide to sit in the comfort zone because it's all just too overwhelming and I think one of the best strategies that I've I didn't even know that I developed until I started writing and realized that that was a common thing that I was doing was that if you need laser sharp focus to get something done even writing a book I was starting to get really distracted by other authors and like how long they wrote and how they wrote it. You know, it was paralyzing from me from even writing the book. Right. I realized, that, you know, a big part of, of being successful and getting something done is knowing where to turn your energy and knowing the things that draw your energy or attention away. And I know, for example, social media is one of, it's the, one of the, you know, kind of landscapes where I spend the most time but I also get really distracted by it. So I needed to blinker that out. I needed to put on metaphorical blinkers like the racehorses do so that they can't see what else is happening in the field and Mm. they just run their best race because otherwise they'll get too distracted by what everyone else is doing. I realise I have to implement those, not necessarily permanently, but just for periods where certain things are going to be distracting to you. Like, Like you need to get to know how your brain works. And I knew that, At that time, I needed to not look at other authors. I needed to maybe mute some accounts that I followed that kind of pulled me into a wormhole when I was feeling vulnerable. When we were getting married, I knew that, you know, I had to sort of unfollow or mute all the wedding accounts after I'd chosen my dress. So I didn't spend hours and hours getting down a wormhole of like, I need to change my dress to look like this. And, you know, you know when you're feeling vulnerable for certain things And all you need to do is just curate your environment carefully so that you kind of preempt how your brain works so that you can get stuff done. And I think blinkers is just a, a, like a trigger for me, like a visual trigger to remind me, like if I have up, I'm going to be protected from the things that are, you know, negative, negative influences on my uh, motivation or energy. Um, and I mean, I'm obviously talking about social media, but even in real life, there are people or activities or things that make you feel a certain way that might be more productive or less productive based on what stage you are in your life. Right. But I think we forget, we have a lot of control around what we see, who we see That's true. and what we do in our lives and we exercise that control and then we get upset about the result. So I think just... Put blinkers up. If you need to blinker out a particular relationship for a little bit of time and just have some distance there, that's fine. No one is forcing you to do anything in your life. Like exercise that ability to block certain things out. I think a quote, I share a quote of the day on my Instagram every day to make myself find something joyful every day. Right. And there was one from Rumi a couple of days ago, which was the art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. Mm. And I was like, wow, we spend so much time thinking about what data we should be consuming and not the things that we should be actively filtering out. But that's what blinkers are. All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Hey, Startup Nation, I think we can all agree that 2020 was more or less a dumpster fire, right? I mean, come on, on top of surviving a worldwide pandemic, good friends and family of mine lost their jobs, had their hours cut, or went out of business altogether. Yet many of these same people are talented creatives, web developers, photographers, graphic designers, SEO specialists, and writers with solid, marketable, in-demand skills. So I've turned them onto Hectic. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Hectic is everything a freelancer needs to get started. 
From easy-to-use contracts and proposal builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoicing that features click-to-play technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid. And we all want to get paid, Startup Nation. Built specifically for freelancers, Hectic is everything you need to get started. Visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life now to learn more and start for free. Yep. Adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life, you'll be supporting me and this podcast because who couldn't use a little support these days, Startup Nation? Visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in-demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. The link is there in the show notes. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. You, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, uh, your Instagram and stuff like that and, and putting up those blinkers because I, I want to ask you this. Let me get serious here just for a little bit because I know you have a post on your Instagram uh, with a cup that says, don't let idiots ruin your day, right? Uh, and, you know, no, no, and I love that. I love that for sure. Because here's the thing. So here in the States, for sure, I'm not sure about Australia, but here in the States, we've been seeing an uptick in, in like, uh, you know, rhetoric and maybe even violence a little bit towards Asian Americans, stuff like that due to the pandemic, which is just idiotic uh, and, and stuff like that. I'm just, you know, and you're Asian as well. And you talked about this earlier, you know, I guess I'm curious, like when you cannot avoid it, like social media is one thing you can turn it off. Don't, you know, get ignored, see what you see on your timeline, stuff like that. But what do you do when somebody tries to steal your yay? You know what I mean? Like there, there are people mm. out there who are like, you know what? I see this person either a they're whatever they're doing well, or they look a certain way. It's like, nah, I don't want them to feel that way. What do you do about that? Well, what's some advice there? If you don't mind me asking Sarah. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. There are so many things you can control, but there are so many things that you can't right. where people kind of have more direct channels or access to you. Like total strangers can right. cast judgment on your life now. And it can really, it, it can totally derail your day or, or your week. And people do in tougher times, particularly get really nasty and sometimes violent. And right. it's, it's one of the you know more challenging parts of humanity to deal with. And I think, again, you can't necessarily blinker out the fact that it happened. Right. But I've gotten very strict with myself about knowing how to kind of quickly put up the barriers as quickly as I can. So I might mm. not have been able to stop an, a, you know, a negative interaction happening, but I could then control how long I let that stay in my life. Right. And, you've, you know, the first thing I think is, for that person to have spent their their short amount of time on this earth and spent their energy on something that negative to bring someone else down, the only thing you can feel for, for them is sorry for them, that right. that's what their life is. Right. So trying to go straight to sort of compassion is really helpful because then you don't get straight to defensiveness and anger and, like, what a dick, like, that's so exactly. awful, yeah. you know. If I go straight to, well, imagine how bad they must feel about themselves for that to be the only way they feel like is appropriate to spend their time, that helps me straight away kind of diffuse my own defensive mechanisms. And then if I didn't have the blinkers on beforehand, I put them up straight away. And that involves, you know, if it's, for example, on social media, a troll or a hater sending mm-hmm. something racially offensive or or any kind of you know, trolling hate for no reason. It just like the things sometimes you get are just totally ridiculous. They have nothing to do with anything. Right. And I think rather than getting, you know, brought into a scandal and feeling like you have to prove yourself and reply and, you know, you could go down a wormhole and spend hours in an argument with a stranger that you're probably never going to convince, you know, to calm down and take a different view. Like if they've, they're set on their ways, they're set on their ways. Right. I think you just have to shut it down really quickly. And make a call like this has come into two minutes of my life. I don't want it to take any more of this day. Either write something really polite and just kind of block them or don't reply at all. Don't indulge it and just push it from your mind. And I think once you give yourself permission to have a reaction, 
of course, you're going to feel crap if you have a bad interaction in your day. In right. If someone, you know, is awful to you on the street or road rage comes into your day or for whatever reason people sometimes project their stuff on you, it's going to happen. And sure. you don't have to deny yourself the right to be a bit angry about it or a bit upset or shook or whatever, but it's how quickly you move on from that and how quickly you, you know, you don't let it steal any more of your day. I hear that. And I kind of think every minute you're angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. Mm. And once you realize that those feelings are costing you part of your day that you've worked so hard to make a positive experience, like you're only giving people power by continuing to let it affect you. And I, like I say this as if it's an easy exercise. It is absolutely not. It is absolutely. so difficult in the moment. Right. But everything in life is just mind control. Like literally the, the trick to happiness is not avoiding shit situations because you can't. Right. It's not avoiding adversity or challenge or sadness or grief or loss because they're totally natural. And one of the big parts of CZAs, any theory on happiness cannot ignore that there are shit parts of life. Right. It has to like it has to work together with those situations. And so I think the big trick is acknowledging that you need to have a reaction, but then very quickly figuring out how to hack your own mental pathways to move on as quickly as you can. For sure. That's that's powerful stuff. Definitely don't want to give people who are trolling, hating or whatever, uh, give them that power. That's that's very good. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that, Sarah. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Sarah Davison, founder of Matcha Maiden and also the author of Seize the Yay, uh, Work, Rest, Play, your way to hashtag life goals. And also if you want to check out her podcast, seize the yay podcast, we have a link there in the show notes. Also, uh, if you listen to replay on, uh, the podcast, I want to ask you a few questions about match and maiden, uh, really quickly here, because, you know, I, I, when doing our prep for the show, we saw that, you know, you've been doing really well with match and maiden and it really kind of took off when I think, uh, urban outfitters kind of came calling, kind of talk about that story a little bit. Yeah, gosh, back in the day. So <laughs> we <laughs> we started, as I mentioned, you know, I, I discovered matcha when I was banned from coffee and right. uh, I got sent to my law firm's headquarters in Hong Kong to work on a big multinational deal there. And in Asia, matcha powder is not the buzzword that it kind of has become in the States and in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's so regular you know it's been around for centuries there everywhere you can get a coffee you can get a matcha latte and it's basically just green tea powder ground into it's green tea leaves ground into a fine powder so instead of a green tea bag where you throw out the leaf you dissolve the whole leaf and you swallow it you know dissolved so you get the whole leaf's worth of antioxidants which has 137 times the antioxidants of regular green tea Mm. and you know we can't i think most people don't even know what it is but it's just green tea, but stronger. And so in the West, you know, they've been using it for their, sorry, in the East, they've been using it for their Zen Buddhist monk meditations because it gives you a good energy boost for multiple hours instead of the crash and then the spike that you get from coffee. So I got hooked over there and then I came home and we hit the market at a time where lots of people like myself had heard of it. The Kardashians were drinking it as a a like way of understanding how popular it was. But there was no brand. They were just drinking matcha like, you know, sugar. It was flour. It was like a generic ingredient that no one had made into a branded product. So it was very hard to actually find because it was still treated as a a bit of a, you know, traditional Japanese ancient ceremonial thing. It wasn't like a daily use fun superfood back then. And so I was struggling because I wanted it for myself and I couldn't find it. My husband had got hooked. He wanted it. A lot of people had seen, you know, the rise of it in the States, but again, couldn't find it anywhere online that was easily accessible. You could get it in cafes and in Starbucks, but you could sort of buy it for yourself. And uh, the whole thing started to fill our own selfish need. And we ended up ordering the minimum that we could. It was 10 kilos. (laughs) It arrived. It was 
like a million serves too many for two humans to consume <laughs> by the use by date. So it was kind of all very accidental, but also forced us to create a solution to get rid of, you know, the rest of the powder and recoup some of the money. Mm -hmm. And we had been living completely separate lives. You know, I was working 20 hour days in the office. My husband's a serial entrepreneur. So he was already running a few businesses himself. Right. And we thought, you know, what a lovely hobby to sort of spend some more time together to start a little startup. You know, that's a very trendy thing to do. It is. All I wanted to do genuinely was sell one bag to a stranger that wasn't my friends and family. And then I could put it on my LinkedIn that I was an entrepreneur and I there could go is. back on my merry life. Like, right. as I mentioned, I was ticking boxes. Like I just wanted to tick a box of like started a business, sold a bag, done. And so it started so DIY because again, we didn't take it seriously. It was just for fun. We already, you know, we'd already bought the powder. So there was really no risk because we'd, we'd already paid and we were already stuck with it. So anything we did was a bonus, right. which is actually now the approach I take to all startups, because if you have that mentality and you only focus on what's the one, what, how do I make one product? You don't get overwhelmed and then you end up being able to make 10 and then you can make a hundred. So we like you guys know Breaking Bad, right? The drug dealer, the drug dealer TV show. Great so that show. that was the first six months of our business <laughs> was covered in powder with little drug scales from eBay, like shoving things into tiny little bags, like, and calling each other and talking about grams and bags. And nice. I was, you know, still working in the law firm, and then coming to a friend's commercial kitchen at night, like in the middle of the night. And we were, you know, it was the middle of summer, so it was sweaty and we didn't want to get any fibers from our clothes. So we'd be like in our undies right. in this garage, like right. packing matcha powder into bags. So Breaking Bad But Green has become the way I summarize our early beginnings. <laughs> gotcha. And we launched on Shopify, like it was, you know, very basic. My husband has a creative agency, so he could put, you know, that together really quickly for us. And right. we sort of did everything on a very, you know, small scale. And because we launched in that time where the education was starting without a product being available, it sold out in a week. Even our own stock we oh, used. Wow. So the stock that we had thought was going to last us years all disappeared. And then the next six months was a mad scramble. I didn't even keep the supplier's details because I just didn't think I'd ever need them again. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, we just got on this crazy momentum of like, well, oh, my God, like, we've got orders. So we need to, you know, it was very responsive and reactive. We had done really very little proactive planning. And because social media is such a wonderful tool to grow exposure for something with very little, you know, it's so democratic. You don't need to spend, I mean, now you probably need to spend a bit more, but back then it was very un, untainted. The algorithm was so straightforward. We just I was at a law firm on my phone all day. I was very easily able to keep up with posting regularly and all that kind of stuff. Right. We actually drew the attention of Urban Outfitters purely from Instagram, mm. from growing an audience really quickly, from gaining the attention of people who also wanted matcha and we had made a really cool logo and we'd kind of called the, you know, community the community and we had funny puns and so I think the, one of the first people who posted for us was Carly Kloss. Mm. Like it wasn't just in Australia that there was no brand available. The States also didn't really have a single cool brand on shelves. So all the American influencers and athletes and models sort of found ours and were starting to ask us for that. And then I think through that Urban Outfitters found um, the brand and and contacted us and I thought genuinely a scam I was like there is absolutely no way this is the real urban outfitters I'm not replying so I didn't reply <laughs> <laughs> and luckily they forgave us right. I didn't reply for about three weeks oh wow and then um <laughs> yeah they were like dude <laughs> this is a wonderful opportunity exactly. you've got to get quicker at answering your emails and I was like I thought it was a scam <laughs> Right. I mean, so, I, get it. I definitely get it because you have a lot of that stuff going on these days. So now I get it. I definitely get it. Yeah. I mean, and then it turned out it was the actual buyer. Right. They sort of wanted a custom, you know, how Urban Outfitters have it, the checkout. They've got like a beauty right. and lifestyle section. Right. They wanted a custom Urban Outfitters 
and anthropology labeled bags that were smaller and like more kind of consumable on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ordered, so we created that custom product for them and they ordered more units than we'd sold in the whole six months beforehand. And the only way to say yes to that opportunity and to actually fulfill the order by the deadline was for me to leave my job. So I left the next day and haven't looked back. I hear that. I hear that. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about Magic Maiden because I know customer service is super important to you, Sarah, because you do uh, think, <clears throat> excuse me, you do things like, you know, send long time customers like uh, like care packages, you know, for their birthdays. Or if you find out they're like sick or something, you send them a little something. Talk about the importance that you put into customer service when it comes to Magic Maiden and everything else, all your other ventures you have going on. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, again, like coming back to what we were talking about before, you can get so bogged down in innovation and product development and like perfecting the product offering, which is obviously so important because that's, you know, that communicates your whole brand. That's the touch point for every consumer. Of course. But I think I realized very early and maybe it was because I was my target market because I was the person who wanted the product to begin with. Right. I just kind of used myself for and my close friends for market research on what are the things that make us buy from a brand over and over. And obviously the product is a main thing, but the experience, I mean, you're parting with your hard-earned money and particularly when you're shopping online, you're parting with your hard-earned money without an in-store experience. So you're losing out on going in store and experiencing the smells and having someone smile at you and talk you through things. You don't get that. So I think because I wasn't an online shopper myself as well, I was very like, I like the experience of going in store. I was like, how am I going to get even a small way close to an experience? Because we were first to market and I think we held, held that position for maybe a year, maybe mm-hmm. 18 months. Right. But I, it's there were low barriers to entry. I knew very quickly other brands would figure out that match a, you know, in a packet was a good idea. Right. And I was like, what's going to make us last after that? And obviously having a head start on brand establishment and, and aligning yourself with key partners like Nike and sort of brands that wouldn't necessarily have too much of brands on board right. is one thing. But you know, Maya Angelou's quote always sticks with me that people will never remember what you said or what you did. They'll always remember how you made them feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, I absolutely. definitely buy it. No, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I definitely buy feelings. Like right. I buy from brands that have a good product, but I probably don't even know that other products from other brands are similar, if not better, because I, I like the way they box things. I like the way that they write handwritten notes to you. I like that they send right. you an email on your birthday. Like you don't notice that you like those things so much until you start thinking about it from the other side. And I wanted to make that maybe even a bigger priority than everything else because I thought that was the thing that builds loyalty more than just a good product. Right, right. No, I, I was just emphasize. you said, you know, you had those uh, partnerships like Nike and I think like Amex and a few others, which just goes to show that, you know, uh, clearly, Sarah Startup Nation it really does uh, a really good job with customer service that ultimately leaks into great partnerships and stuff like that. And I hope you put that in your entrepreneurial toolkit, uh, Startup Nation, that, you know, going that extra mile and, and really focusing on just like Sarah said, how that customer, how you make that customer feel can definitely uh, go a long way. So I appreciate you sharing all of that, uh, Sarah, for sure. We're actually wrapping up with Sarah Davidson, author of Seize the Yay Work Rest play your way to hashtag life goals and also the founder of matcha making matcha maintenance. Well, you want to check out matcha Maiden. We have that link there in the show notes, startup nation for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast. So Sarah, I got to ask this question because in my prep, I saw that you found yourself one day uh, or one year at a Christmas party with an Avenger and his family. <laughs> kind of talk about that. If you don't mind, how did that happen? <sighs> Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I think uh, one of the other big takeaways from last year that I try and share widely is that when nothing is certain, 
anything is possible, mm. which is a nice spin on uncertainty, which generally makes people very uncomfortable. Right. And I went from a life where every year from now until the time I retired, you could pretty much predict where I would be, what my pay would be, what I would be doing. Mm. You know, it was such a predictable, structured Absolutely, life, which yeah. some people love. Right. It's amazing for some people. For me, it left no room for anything exciting to happen because I already knew what was going to happen. Right. And so moving into a world where you can't really have a five-year plan, you can't even really have a five-minute plan because the, the startup world is changing so quickly and customers are becoming more discerning and, you know, stuff is changing every day. It's such an exciting challenge, which means that literally I've been as open-minded as I possibly could be and it's led to the most random, weird, amazing things ever. So th this particular situation came about, there'd been a few beforehand. So mm -hmm. one of them was we were, uh, you know, in Urban Outfitters and I thought like we've got a pretty good, you know, hold on the market in the States, which I'd never expected from this tiny garage in Melbourne, like the biggest market in the world. Right we need to sort of, you know, really enjoy that while we're on shelves in one of the coolest stores ever. So, you know, we got to the point where Carly Kloss wanted me to do a tea ceremony for her, uh, for her Carly's Cookies YouTube channel and like all these random things. So I just was like, you know what, can't afford it. I'm going to jump on a plane and come, come to the US and just do a little tour. I did like tastings in Lululemon stores. I went to SoulCycle head office. Like we did... We just emailed people and risked that they would say no because quite a few of them said yes right. and it was the best. And we, you know, invested a lot of money on just turning up at random places, but it was such an amazing tour and really helped build some amazing, you know, network and momentum and noise. Right. The, the year after we started Match Maiden, we realised one thing I was missing a lot was that physical experience. And one of the hardest things about Matcha is that I find it very easy to prepare. A lot of people are a bit overwhelmed by anything that's pitched as a superfood, like mm. how much do you use, how do you make it taste good if you don't like green tea, like right. all of those kinds of questions. And so we sort of thought maybe we should have a headquarters that is a cafe and that you can go in and try matcha in all different forms, like, right. a, you know, even in desserts and food and salad dressing and maybe we could kind of activate it but as a pop-up. So our uh, net, one of my former university friends who also went into law but uh, lasted a lot less time than I did had gone into hospitality with his brother and become, you know, quite quite hospitality heavyweights. Like they had maybe 12 or 15 venues by then uh, in Melbourne and in Sydney. Um, they had really good relationships with hospitality people all across LA. They're really well known really around the world. Right. Uh, we were both travelling in the States actually and noticed that two big trends had emerged, a lot of vegan eating. So this was like the early years of Gracias Madre, Cafe Gratitude, Um before the butcher's daughter, but, you know, it was just starting to become really cool mm -hmm. and, and matcha drinking. And the two trends were united by the blue zones research. So the five areas of the world where people live the longest. Right. And we, we struggled a little bit with how a lot of the cafes like gratitude, for example, you walk in and it's like, hi, I'm chastity. What are you grateful for today? Which is amazing, mm -hmm. but also sort of turns off some people in the mainstream. Right. And we thought, you know, there's a lot of anger and heat behind the vegan debate. How can we make people eat more plants and drink more matcha in a cool way that doesn't even use the word vegan and that's, you know, they might leave and not even know that they've eaten. So we made a vegan egg and we made, you know, we made a cool cafe called Matcha Milk Bar that was plant-based without knowing it was plant-based. We made everything rainbow and Instagrammable. We literally opened in a month. We did all the building and painting ourselves. It was just such a, such a CCA moment of like, this is maybe a stupid idea. I'm terrified by it. I know nothing about hospitality, but let's just do it and just right. see what happens. What is the worst that can happen? Instead of, you know, we didn't take big risks. We, it was the same as the start of Matchamaden. We didn't invest millions on a fit out. We just did a very short term pop up and sort of saw how it went. At the time, Liam was dating Miley, who is a diehard vegan at mm -hmm. the time. The Hemsworth's parents were living across the road and had 
had developed a really good friendship with our business partner and so started coming into Milk Bar. Mm. Then all of the Hemsworths would come home from the States for the Australian Football League Grand Final and they came to eat at Milk Bar and they loved it. Chris then did an interview with the New York Times and was asked what his favourite place in Australia was and he said Matcha Milk Bar. Oh, that's dope. <laughs> no, like no notice, had no idea who was going to do it. Right. Um, but, I mean, we worked really hard on making the vegan egg. It was like maybe the first one or second in the world. We did a fried egg. We did a poached egg. Uh, it's got the same protein in it as an egg with linseed protein. It's got a yolk that like comes out. It's amazing. Put a lot of effort into making it really innovative. And, and you know, he's so health focused and loved the concept. Right. And then they wanted to think about bringing the idea to the States. So we ended up at, uh, they were all in Australia at the one time and I think it was over, they spent Christmas every year with all of the kids and all of the brothers and sisters and family and parents. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, for that, they were in Byron one year. And because they were in Australia, they were like, why don't you come up? And, you know, while we're all here, we can talk about it. So we went to the New Year's party in Byron. Miley was there that year with absolute madness. I bet. And then the, the year after, they were like, oh, we had fun with you last year. We're in La Jolla do you want to come to La Jolla for New Year's? And that was like two days before New Year's. Wow. And we were in Australia and we needed to get to the States. So we just <laughs> booked a flight to La Jolla and we're like, sure, let's just go to San Diego. And uh, ended up there. And we ended up not making, we didn't go ahead with the venue in the States. Uh, we had three different sites, I think, but they all fell through and it just, things got busy and it ended up just not being the direction gotcha. we wanted to go in. But gotcha. we had two amazing New Year's parties with Thor. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it, it reinforces this thing we talk about on the startup life a lot that like, you know, when you pursue something that you enjoy, something that you love or something that you just feel like you have to kind of get out into the world, you just never know where it may lead. You just never Absolutely. know. You never know where it may lead. So I appreciate that story, Sarah. And you know what else? What's that? I think you just get so convinced that everyone is going to say no to you. Right. Like when you're first, you know, starting up and you feel, I think we totally underestimate our own achievements. So even once we got to quite a big level, I still just played it down. It's like, oh, it's just this small startup that I'm doing, even when it has become like this multinational like global business. Yeah, partying with Thor and like in urban yeah. outfits. Yeah, it's a small, start, <laughs> smart, small uh, scrappy startup. Yeah, sure, Sarah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut totally you Totally right. Like I was still selling it to people as like this tiny little random thing right. that we were doing. And you forget that, you know, for – Nine no's, right? Right. You're probably going to get one yes. And I think we all don't ask because we're scared of no. We're scared of looking silly. But if you're willing to get quite a few no's for that one amazing yes, you actually get amazing things come to you. Right. Like, for example, once the podcast started, I went back to being a complete beginner. I knew nothing about audio. I had no no audience in that world. I had no idea. I barely listened to podcasts back then. So I I just really didn't know what I was doing. And as I started to grow, you know, I started to get some, I I really had cherished and and built some wonderful networks in Australia. So I had some great guests here, which built momentum with people who had relationships with great people in the States. And I just started to realize like the more you ask, the more surprised you'll be that a lot of people you would never expect would say yes to you will. Like they might have a book coming out and they want you to, they're open to podcast episodes for the first time in 10 years or whatever. Like, but if you don't ask, it's a no, it's already a no. So I ended up just being like, I'm just going to pitch to all these random people who I would, who are my dream guests and just see what happens. And in the middle of COVID, everyone was stuck at home. So everyone could do interviews on Zoom and they all had more time than they usually have. So I had um, Mark Manson came on the show. Mm. Uh, I interviewed Tan France from Queer Eye. Wow. I had, um, even before COVID, I just was like, I saw that Gary Vee was coming to Australia and I was like, fuck it. I'm just, oh, sorry. Am no, I you, no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was like, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to email. I'm just going to find out, you know, how long he's here. Gary Vaynerchuk is like definitely going to say no to me. He's got so many interviews lined up, I'm sure. He did three interviews in Australia and one of them was my podcast nice. because I had interviewed his his former strategy officer who had put in a good word, who I didn't even know that she had put in a good word. And she's an, an Aussie. Like I had no idea that she was even she even spoke to him anymore. Right. And because of that, he yes, and had he had 48 hours in Australia or something, and he spent an hour of it with me. And I still I'm like, what the actual fuck? Like, how did that happen? But if I hadn't asked, because I was I thought it was impossible, he wouldn't have said yes. Right. And it's it's just always ask, right? You're going to get lots of no's, but always ask because you never know who's going to say yes. You just never know who's going to say yes. And that's going to wrap up this session of The Startup Life. We want to once again thank Sarah Davidson, founder of Matcha Maiden and author of Seize the Yay uh, for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life the startup life if you want to let us know what you think about our show have an idea for a show topic or like to advertise on our show send us a message on the startup life podcast facebook page. while you are there like and follow our page as well it's a great way for us to engage with the startup nation and really grow our community the link is there in the show subscribe to the show as can be heard on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher radio Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline, or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There, you will find the all-new Startup Blog, where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea... Be about that life, the startup life.